If you've got a Bible with you, uh, get to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter uh, 3 today, looking at the first 17 verses in Colossians 3. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and if we haven't had an opportunity to meet, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service and get to know you and attach a face with a name, and I'm grateful that you're here. This message series that we're kicking off today is a seven-part series that coincides with what a lot of community groups are going through, and we are praying that as an elder team, this would be a a pivotal time for us as a church to really uh, to see the Lord strengthen and build us in living life together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters, fellow members alongside one another in community. And so I just encourage you to uh, take steps of faith toward that. According to the world standards, we shouldn't all be in the same room. It makes no earthly sense that we all got up this morning and chose to come to this building and gather in this space and be alongside this group of people. Because in an earthly sense, while we have similarities and plenty of them, we also have a variety of differences among us. And if there's one message that the world is communicating right now, it is differences divide. Differences automatically divide. If you disagree with someone on an issue, and you can choose from a thousand different options on the menu of things to choose from. If you disagree, you must divide. You must splinter off and be utterly isolated and simply surround yourself with those who agree with you on every point, A to Z, and every subpoint under A to Z. Good luck finding that. You will find yourself in a telephone booth, including in marriages. Let's be honest. Yes, we have earthly similarities, but we also have a wide variety of differences, men and women, a variety of generations represented. We come from a variety of socioeconomic levels. Some are living below a poverty level. Some of you are living paycheck to paycheck. Some of you are extremely wealthy. Across this room is a wide variety of church backgrounds. I didn't start attending church until I was in seventh grade, and since then I've spent time in a United Methodist church then a Bible church, then a non-denominational church. For some of you, this is your first church ever. Praise God. Love that you're here. Others of you have a Catholic background or other backgrounds like Lutheran and Baptist, Mennonite, AC, AG, Mennonite, Methodist, and so on. Praise God. Love that you're here. Glad you're here. What about marital status? Married, remarried, divorced, single, widowed, Each of us struggle with a variety of personal sins, and what one person might struggle with, yet the person next to you doesn't at all, and vice versa. In last year's election, our voting ballots didn't all look the same. Some of you own a small arsenal of guns. Others of you will never own a gun. In just the past 18 months, we've been presented with a variety of pandemic-related subjects that none of us had convictions on or thoughts on before, but now we do. The most unified the church, let alone the nation, was, was, do, was during two weeks to flatten the curve. After that, all bets on unity were off. The world is characterized by splintering and dividing, sectioning themselves off to smaller and smaller factions. And so from a worldly perspective, this gathering of people makes no sense. So why are you here? Why are you here? If you're wealthy, why are you associating with those who are not? If you're a person who voted for Trump or for Biden 
or wrote in a candidate because you didn't, didn't like either one of those, why are you gathered with those who voted differently than you? If you're a person who was chosen to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine, why are you sitting alongside those who have a different perspective than you? Because the local church is a supernatural gathering, an assembly of brothers and sisters in Christ, because the local church of Jesus Christ is not defined or determined by earthly similarities or differences. Because the local church is a new, eternal community defined and tethered together by our shared faith in Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. We need reminded of that as our world rages on. And the enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, destroy Jesus' words in John 10.10 10, while he is prowling around with his deceits and his lies. In Colossians 3 today, in my humble, humble opinion, will lead us to that. So this morning, I pray the Spirit does a couple things. First of all, that we get a vision for the uncommon, new, eternal, supernatural community that we are called to live in and live out in this life as the Lord's people. Secondly, I pray the Spirit moves us then toward actively engaging in that new community with one another. So we get a vision, and then we are compelled by the Spirit to take steps of faith toward engaging in that new community. So let me put my cards on the table. I want you to join a six-week study of this book called Life and Community. I want you to buy a book if you haven't already. We're not making money on that, okay? Let me just put that out there. I want you to start reading the book. I want you to choose a group of people to discuss the scriptures with and the book and life with. I want you to pray with this group of people. I want you to share a meal with them. I want you to call them up on the phone. I want you to get coffee with them. I want you to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds as a way of life. This doesn't necessarily mean this community group will be your group for life. It probably won't be. But it does mean that you will take steps toward engaging in life in the new community that we've been called into. And if you're like, nope, not, not going to do that, then buy a book, invite two or three other people not in your household to get lunch with regularly, to get supper with, to get coffee with, and read the book, discuss the scriptures, and live it out as a way of life. I want the Lord to do a supernatural work amongst this supernatural family here at Crosspoint. I've been begging God for 18 months, Lord, strengthen and build your church. Lord, strengthen and build your church in the midst of the chaos and the division. Lord, strengthen and build your church. And so my prayer is that us as the people of God would answer that prayer. We'd repent. We'd put off put on the things of Christ and answer that prayer and move towards strengthening and building his local church here at Crosspoint. The letter of Colossians was written by Paul to the church of Colossae. While he was there, more than likely he was in a Roman prison. Paul didn't plant the church. Epaphras was the church planter. And one characteristic of the town of Colossae was how diverse it was. And so even in this new church plant, while the majority of people were Gentile Christians, there were also those from a Jewish background. 
And so Colossae had this wide variety of differences among them. And remember, in a, in a letter like this, Paul is writing to a church as a whole. The letter would be received and read in front of the church as a whole, as a group of people. And Paul begins the letter in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says this, to the saints, plural, in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful, brothers and sisters, plural, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Yes, individual believers, individual brothers and sisters, sons and daughters are listening to this letter read. And they will be hearing it through the lens of individual, but they'll also be hearing it predominantly through this lens of community, through being alongside fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in a fellow church membership. So we're jumping in in the middle of this letter in chapter 3, but I want us to get this picture, be reminded that, that the listener is hearing this not as an individual, but as a, as a part, as a member of the larger body of Christ. And so to see it through the filter of community with one another. Verses 1 through 4 in the CSB translation. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek and set. And he draws this contrast between earthly and above. It's not a question of if we will seek and set our minds. It's rather a question of what. What will we seek and set our minds on? Something will occupy our interest and attention. What will it be, though? If we're in Christ, we are to seek the things above and not and to set our things on uh, things above as well. This phrase, to set your mind on things above, means let this be the habit of your mind. Let your mind be characterized by thinking on these things, things above, not earthly, temporary things, but eternal, everlasting things. And Paul is saying that as you seek the things above, as you set your minds on things above, that becomes the lens by which you see all of life. It becomes the lens by which you see an eternal perspective in the midst of an earthly life. And in these four verses, we learn two things about a Christian's identity, that we've died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. So our old way of life, our old creation, those previous chapters in our lives before we got saved, that life has been nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb. As a result, since power in our lives is broken, it's broken. We've been crucified with Christ. This life now is no longer about us, but Him, Galatians 2.20, and we now not only identify with His cross, but we identify with His resurrection. Praise God. We've been raised to a new life, and we live by faith in the risen Son of God who overcame the grave, the power of sin, the power of the devil. So as a local church, our foundation, what unites us, what pulls us toward one another is not earthly things. If our foundation is simply earthly things, then we will follow the patterns of this world, which is division and splintering and dividing. So what unites us collectively and corporately is Jesus Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We seek the things above because Christ is there. Notice, seated, reigning, ruling, so while the world is in chaos, and it's been in chaos since Genesis 3, 
While the world is being tossed back and forth, it isn't to him. He's seated. He's not pacing back and forth, frantic. Well, I don't know how I'm going to sovereignly work this out. He's seated. So you can rest in that, Christian. You can rest in that. You can lay your head on the pillow at night knowing Christ is seated. He's reigning. He's ruling. One day, Christ, who is our life, is returning again for His people. What tethers us together is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So practically speaking, then what does a life and community look like? If our new identity in Christ means that we've died to sin and we're walking in a new life, old creation gone, new has come, then what does that shared life and community look like? Well, it looks radically different than, than what we see in the world. It looks radically different than what our own flesh and sin would want. And in verses 5 through 10, Paul is going to give descriptions of an old creation way of life. And as it relates to community, these are examples of earthly, fleshly attitudes and actions and practices that destroy life in community in the church. Starting in verse 5, going through 10, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of, of your creator. These are all examples of things below, things of this earth that disrupt or hinder the unity that we have in Jesus. These are contrary to how people who seek the things above are called to live. If the predominant group of people, the community of people that surrounds you, if the, if the predominant group of people that you live life with are characterized by verses 5 through 10, you will not grow up in Jesus. You won't. You've got to surround yourself with fellow believers who will spur you on and you'll be able to spur them on who are fleeing the evil desires of youth, 2 Timothy 2.22, and pursuing the things of the Lord. And you're doing that alongside one another. That has to be your predominant community as you live on mission to reach those who are still enslaved by sin. As a new community in Christ, what Paul is calling the Colossians to is to, he says, put to death in verse 5, put away, verse 8, put off, verse 9. We repent of these fleshly practices because they don't bring the Lord glory. They destroy life and community that we have in Christ. They are not to characterize saints in Christ and faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord because, as verse 3 told us, our old nature has died upon that cross. It's been buried in a tomb, and we've been raised to new life. Now, new community with one another. Loved ones, together we put to death. Together we put away. We struggle against sin and our flesh in the context of grace-filled, grace-transformed community. Don't believe this lie from the enemy that when you struggle with sin, you flee the community to try to figure it out yourself, to try to clean yourself up. And then you re-enter the community when you, in your own mind, have cleaned yourself up. No, it's in the context of community that we struggle against sin, that we pray for one another, 
This is where healing takes place, not in a closet, not isolated. The practice of sin destroys community. But you know what builds community? Our shared repentance of sin. When someone turns from greed and toward generosity, toward the family of faith, that builds community, does it not? When someone turns from idolatry saying, I'm no longer going to give that my attention. I'm no longer going to be obsessed with that. I'm going to be obsessed with loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor. That is going to get my attention. That builds community. When a believer in Christ turns from slander and gossip and lying and turns toward walking in the light, that builds community. Our Heavenly Father, in His goodness and wisdom, has brought His children from isolation into a new eternal family that is united. United in the Son. And out of that unity, we make it a practice of putting to death what Jesus has already died for. Plain and simple, we need one another in our repentance. So we don't run away. We run toward community when we find ourselves entangled in sin. And then verse 11, Paul comes back to what unites the new eternal community of, of the church. He says this, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ a new community is formed and being formed into His image. And what ties this new, new community together is not race, nationality, backgrounds, affinity, it's Jesus Christ. He reconciles us to our Creator, and He reconciles us to one another as well. So the local church has this supernatural, heavenly element to it. We're not joined with superficial, earthly things, but a new, into a new family with a perfect Heavenly Father who has us here for such a time as this to be on mission for Him, to be an ambassador for Him, so that we live with our minds and our eyes and our hearts set on things above being in this world, but not of this world. See, the world would want to put those titles of Greek or Jew, for example, they, they want to put that in the first, first place as you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm a Greek. Hi, I'm a Scythian. Hi, I'm a barbarian. Good luck getting a date with that one. <laughs> but for a Christ follower, in Christ, always leads. It always goes first. Do not believe the lie that some secondary attribute or characteristic or description of your life ever leads. In Christ goes first. So for me, the description of who I am does not begin with, I'm a husband, or I'm a father, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a white man, or I was born in a small town, and I live in a small town. Probably die in a small town. Right? You're welcome. I always had the next line wrong, so which is why I'm not going to say it. But I always thought it was something else. I this morning I found out I didn't. It doesn't begin with I graduated from college or I'm in the middle class or I vote for conservative political candidates or I got the COVID vaccine. Or I have sexual sin in my history. The description of who I am begins with, I'm in 
Christ. And that alone defines who I am and what I'm called to in this life. A command from Jesus Christ on all believers, not just Pastor Dave. A command to go and make disciples of Jesus to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded, everything that Jesus taught loved ones. That changes the world. When a group of people collectively say, that is going to get our attention. When older speak into younger and people say, no, I'm, I'm no longer just going to consume. I'm going to make disciples. I'm not going to get obsessed with this or that. No, my, my obsession is the Great Commission. When a group of people, not just a paid pastor, but when a group of people get their hearts and minds, their, their, their love, their energy, their money, they get that behind it, that, loved ones, changes the world. You want to see the world changed? Be about the Great Commission be about making disciples of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. And as a result, we are part of a new, eternal, spirit-empowered family on mission. So how does such a family live? Well, our life and community is characterized by more than just putting to death and putting away and putting off. It also includes the practice of putting on the things of Jesus. As much as our shared repentance builds community, so does when disciples seek to grow up into Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul lists five attitudes that we are to put on. Attitudes that capture what it looks like for us to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. Attitudes that lead to building life in community. And what a contrast these are to the world we live in as well as our own flesh. And so it shouldn't surprise us that there are contrasts because, again, our minds and our hearts, our eyes are fixated on something else. Compassion. This is love characterized by mercy. Tender-hearted mercy. Compassion meaning you have empathy for another person. They're walking through hurt or suffering, and because they're a family in Christ, you hurt and you suffer with them. You're being compassionate, not indifferent, but compassionate toward them. Kindness. Are we known for being kind? Are we putting on kindness toward those closest to us or to toward those in the family of God who are not like us? The opposite of kindness is harshness. So when we say something out of the flesh, when we type something out of the flesh, we need to put on instead kindness, thinking, no, in Christ first family in Christ first. Romans tells us it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the harshness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God. So we are to reflect that. Humility. In the days of this letter, humility outside of the Christian circle would have been seen as a vice. It's still seen that way. It's a negative. But for the people of God, this is Christ-like putting on the things of Christ, putting on humility. Jesus is the perfect picture of humility, born in humble circumstances, lived a life of service, died a death that was not his to die, died for sin that he did not commit. Humility is considering the interests of others before your own. It's putting off pride, putting on Jesus. All five of these attitudes are so countercultural. 
so opposite to what our hearts are naturally and sinfully bent toward, but we have a new identity. We're empowered by the Spirit to live these out. Gentleness, the model for this, again, is Jesus. He was gentle. Are you tender toward others, loved ones? Or are you demanding of your, of your attitude toward your siblings and the family? Are you gentle with your words and your actions and how you walk with others? Patience. One person has said, if, if kindness refers to our basic approach to people, patience refers to the kind of reaction we should display toward people. We can grow impatient and frustrated, especially in the family of God, right? Like, come on, don't you get this by now? Or how can you believe that? And don't you believe this by now? And, and we can get impatient. Instead, we are to put on patience because in the end, our our Father God has been incredibly patient with you and me and continues to be patient with you and me in our spiritual growth. Because in our maturing in Christ, we never arrive. We remain dependent upon His grace until the day we die or the day He returns. These verses are painting a vision of what relationships within the new community of Christ should look like, the attitudes that should characterize our clothing. And if we stopped at verse 12... We would think Paul was describing some mythical picture of a new community where people never wrong one another, never hurt each other, but we know that's not the case. Speaking for myself, I have been deeply hurt and sinned against by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And at times, that hurt caused me to retreat from community, to isolate, including and especially while I've been a pastor. And some of you can relate to that. Hurt within the family led you to retreating from the family. And if that's you or my own heart, be reminded, we do not heal ourselves in isolation. We heal ourselves in community. Paul here is assuming that the Colossian church, just like any local faith family at times, is going to need to work through conflict and hurt, disagreements, misunderstandings, miscommunications, that because the church is made up of imperfect people who have remaining sin that are in need of grace, that they're going to need encouragement in how to glorify God in the midst of these type situations. And this is where Paul goes next, verse 13, bearing with one another. This is the willingness to live with and love difficult people and walk with them through difficult circumstances. And so... Don't just see this in light of bearing with others, because right now you got somebody in mind. Some name probably popped up in your head. It could be your spouse. It could be your kid. It could be your parent. It could be your neighbor. It could be somebody in this room. Do not just see it in that light. Also, bear in mind, keep in mind, people are bearing with you. Raise your hand if you can be difficult. Oh, heaven's sakes. Okay, let's try this again. Let's put on humility, all right? I love you. Raise your hand if you can be difficult. Yeah. Some of you still don't have your hands raised. Okay. <laughs> Perfect example. I'll bear with you. I'll bear with you. Thank you for bearing with me as an imperfect pastor. Some of you have been bearing with me for close to a generation, 18 plus years. Praise God for your endurance. One of you has been bearing with me for over 25 years. Praise God for her endurance. 
bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. It is not if you will be hurt in this new community. It's when. I'm not trying to be harsh. It's the truth. It is not if you will be hurt within the local church. It's when. By no means am I justifying sin. But when we're living with imperfect people who've been saved and actively being transformed by the loving, perfect God, sometimes we falsely think, well, well, this is church. I'll never be hurt here. Or he's a pastor. He'll never hurt me. Or this is my brother or sister in Christ. We're, we, we serve together. We, we're in community together. I'll never be hurt here. And then the minute we experience hurt or feel wronged, we ripcord it. Out. Going to the next one. Where I don't know the people as well. I don't, well maybe I'll, I'll experience less hurt there. And we just go one to one to one to one to one. Instead of doing the hard, humbling, God-glorifying work of reconciling by the grace of God. When we reconcile, that reveals our new identity in Jesus. When we forgive, that reveals that we are fully aware of how much the Lord has forgiven us of. Verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is being pictured as a garment that is being put on top of all these Christ-like virtues that we are to dress ourselves in. So love is not, not just another virtue to be added. It's the supreme one overall. It, it's what ties or binds it all together. Think of a hand. Heather had this analogy when our kids were younger. So five fingers, five attitudes, and in the verse that talked about uh, compassion, humility, and gentleness, and patience, five characteristics bound together, united by love. Love is what fuels our humility. Love is what drives our compassion. Love is what mobilizes it, moves it. It's where it gets its full power. Knowing Jesus first loved us, so then that motivates us to bear with one another and forgive one another. Verse 15 then, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts. Paul's concern for unity in the body becomes clear in this verse. The idea of rule is to function as an official so let peace rule or operate as the umpire in situations. Let the peace of Christ be the deciding factor. So when something rules or is the umpire, it impacts everything else. Peace in place of bitterness and quarrelsome and petty disagreements and murmuring gossip. And Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. May that be our pursuit for those who call this church home. This then leads us to and be thankful because to be a part of a community of believers who's engaged in living out their new creation in Christ, the people who are saying, you know what, we're going to actively put off and repent of community destroying sin. And we're going to put on at the same time, put on the attitudes and actions of Christ. We're going to bear with one another. We're going to love extravagantly. We're going to forgive. We're going to walk graciously, seek peace. Well, to be a part of that new community, doesn't that lead you to thankfulness? Doesn't that lead you to gratitude? Praise God. That, that's an evidence that the Spirit is at work. We're not manufacturing that, but the Spirit of God is at work. Verse 15, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
Seek the things above, set your minds on things above. And in verse 16, Paul helps us know how we're actually going to do that on a daily basis. When we allow the word to dwell and rest on our hearts and minds, when we gather to hear the word taught on a Sunday morning, or we sing together, or gather in community groups to talk about how we're going to apply this truth to our daily life, or when we talk about this in our households, or with friends, saying, how are you taking the living word of God and applying it to your daily way of life? When we gather with others to encourage and admonish and spur one another on, when we don't neglect gathering, but seek to build this rhythm into our lives, because this is what the new community in Christ does. It's not a part of life. This is our way of life. Colossians 3 gives us a vision for the uncommon, new, eternal, supernatural, on-mission community that we are called to live in and live out in this life. Paul's writing to a church. These commands can't be lived out in isolation. They're lived out among the family, a new family that is anchored to the Word, centered on the gospel, and dependent on the Spirit. If the worship team could come up. My question to myself and to you, to those of you who are in Christ, is will you prayerfully and actively move toward engaging in building such a new community here at Crosspoint? Will you move away from isolation and toward community? Will you repent of and put off sin that the Lord has revealed in your heart today? Will you seek to live a life that puts on the clothing of Christ? Will you join with those around you and those who call this church home and declare, we will set our minds on things above? We will be about the kingdom. We will set our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. For in Him, we are united and joined together. In Him, we have died to our sin and been raised to life. In Him, we await His return. In Him, we are, mission, we are on mission to bring more people into this eternal faith family. He is who defines us. He alone. He is why we are here today and why we will gather next Sunday. He is who we are seeking to glorify, magnify, and exalt. So fellow saints in Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord, will you actively reject the patterns of this world that lead to division and actively, by the Spirit's empowerment, put on the things of Christ so we might see the Lord strengthen and build His church here. Lord, we need you, we depend upon you, we thank you that you are at work in and through us. Thank you that you've made us new creations in Christ. Lord, we confess it is a challenge to set our minds on things above and let that be our habit of our minds. But I pray that as we, as we allow your word to dwell in us richly, as we sing, as we gather as we live out the many one another's, that you would enable us to lift our eyes and to be about the kingdom and to be kingdom workers as a way of life, not as a compartment. Move us toward life and community with one another that would glorify you and lead to our joy and strengthen and build your church because it's yours. You're the chief shepherd, not just here, but universally throughout all history. And so we depend upon you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start by singing 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we move to, as a result of that, we lay ourselves down for His worship. And then therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, in which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So before you, in this gathering, and then when you leave this place, is moment by moment opportunity to live that out, to be people of the word and to live it out. So let's be found faithful in being the people of God this week and in this moment as we begin to fellowship.